We're in a series titled First Followers, where we're learning from the first followers of Jesus what it means to be disciples who are making disciples. I can't think of a better book to be exploring as a new church. Acts chapter 9. The title is Jesus Stands in the Way. And before we dive into this passage, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for gathering us this morning. Thank you for the privilege it is to be gathered around your word. Thank you for the example of the early church, those first followers of Jesus. We want to learn. Lord, we want to be shaped by your word. We're dependent on your spirit to bring, uh, Lord, clarity. And so we, we know that you're faithful to do that. So as your word is proclaimed this morning, as we read it together, as we explore it together, Lord, help, it, uh, Lord, help us to engage it with everything in us. Lord, bring it to life. Lord, for our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought you were heading in the right direction in life, only to later discover you were completely off course? I know this has never happened to you, but it's happened to me. I'm sure that it's happened to you. So maybe a friend or a family member intervened, asked a question, called you out, somehow got your attention. Well, sometimes the most loving thing a person can do is actually get in our way. But what happens when the person who gets in our way is Jesus? That's what our story here in Acts 9 is about. We're looking at three things in Acts 9 this morning. First, Jesus stands in Saul's way. Second, Jesus sends Ananias to pray. And third, Saul proclaims Jesus is the way. Yes, all those points rhyme. First, Jesus stands in the way. Let's look at Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. We'll stop there. I don't know if you've seen this in the news lately, but there have been a lot of protests happening in the streets of Hong Kong over the last several weeks. They surround a law that would enable mainland China to extradite or deport the people of Hong Kong in order to bring them to trial. So the citizens of Hong Kong are clearly concerned about their own freedom. Free speech, the right to worship, freedom of the press. These are just a few of the areas that are being threatened. In Acts 9, we're reintroduced to a man named Saul. He was a leading member of a Jewish group called the Pharisees who held a strict observance to the Old Testament law 
And he wants to hunt down followers of Jesus and extradite them. He wants to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. Saul was there, if you remember, when Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr of the early church. We read about this in Acts chapter 8. Look, look with me in verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul was there when Stephen was murdered. And after Stephen was murdered, the persecution that broke out against the first followers of Jesus was primarily led by Saul. But it wasn't enough for Saul to attack the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to snuff out this heretical group wherever it was. And so he heads to Damascus. It's 135 miles from Jerusalem. It's a six-day journey by foot. He's committed to snuffing out this heretical group, this so-called heretical group. In verse 2 of Acts 9, followers of Jesus are actually referred to as those who belong to the way. This was an early description of followers of Jesus. Jesus described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. This is in John 14, verse 6. You, you might be familiar with that passage. And so it makes sense that his followers would be followers of the way. So here's what we have in Acts 9. Saul was on his way to arrest those who belonged to the way, but Jesus stood in his way. You like how I did that? It's true. Saul was backed by the same high priest who took the leading role in the trial of Jesus. This is the high priest who declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy and worthy of death. That's the backing that Saul has. That's the authority that Saul has. He's got the paperwork that he needs to bring any people of the way back to Jerusalem for trial. And they know it won't go well if they head back to Jerusalem with Saul. And out of nowhere, this light flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so Jesus confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, and he begins with a question that Saul would never forget. It's actually a question that would have, that would have this revolutionary impact on every aspect of Saul's life. As I read this, I see it as straight ambush. Jesus is doing a little sneak attack on Saul. He's ambushing Saul. Saul is set out to attack Jesus' followers, and Jesus stands in the way. Saul is set out in the wrong direction. Well, he thinks it's the right direction, but it's the wrong direction, and Jesus stands in the way. So what we see here is intervention. Jesus, the risen king, who Saul thought was a false teacher at best, is now standing before Saul in brilliance and in glory, in blinding light. And he's asking Saul a question. Now Saul hears the question, but as he hears the question out of Jesus' mouth, he's putting it together, and he realizes that this false prophet whom he assumed was dead is actually alive. 
Now, maybe you've been fighting against Jesus for years. Maybe you've been pushing him away out of fear of what he actually might be asking of you. But Jesus keeps standing in the way. He keeps getting in the way. Maybe you've been hurt or disillusioned by Jesus' followers, but Jesus keeps getting in the way. Saul asks a question in reply. And we see this in verse 5. It's the right question to ask. It's actually the question that everyone in this room has wrestled with or is wrestling with. The question is, who are you, Lord? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Jesus so identifies with his followers. His followers are so united to Jesus, to him, that to persecute them, Jesus is saying, is to persecute me. That's what he's saying to Saul. You're persecuting me. Now imagine what was racing through Saul's mind in that moment. Questions like, Is this really happening? Author N.T. Wright, theologian, Pastor N.T. Wright, he writes this, Suddenly Saul's world turned upside down and inside out. Right in that moment. Terror, ruin, shame, awe, horror, glory, and then terror again just sweeping over Saul. Why? Because this tidal wave of fulfillment had just crashed down on Saul's head and heart in that moment. It's as if Saul was caught just wave after wave, just pounding on him of of fulfillment. What do I mean? Ancient promises that have been met in Jesus. Wave after wave. Saul knew the scriptures. He had misunderstood and misapplied the scriptures. But now, after encountering the risen Christ, wave after wave in that moment was just crashing over his heart and his mind. The God that Saul had been serving and seeking had done what he always said he would in the scriptures and through the prophets, but he was doing it in a shocking, scandalous, and horrifying way, according to Saul. So in that moment, He had a lot of questions swirling around in his head and heart. The one who had set out to arrest Jesus' followers was himself arrested by Jesus in that moment. The one Saul was fighting against was now fighting back, was pushing back. And we see in verse 6 how the others replied, or actually what Jesus says to Saul, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. See, Saul sets out to Damascus, feeling like he's in control and he's in charge. Then he encounters Jesus. Jesus stands in his way. He gets in the way. And then Jesus tells Saul what he needs to do. He's in control. In verse 7, the men traveling with Saul are speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see or really understand what was happening. Saul gets up. He discovers he's blind. This physical blindness is a symbol of his spiritual blindness. The spiritual blindness of what he was walking, uh, that he was walking in. The one who thought he saw clearly was really blind. And now he needed to be led by the hand to Damascus. He was humbled. You, you'll see this in Paul's letters. You know, Saul's name is, it's the Hebrew name for Paul is the Greek name of Saul. Anyway, it's the Greek version. So Paul, Saul goes on to write 
a lot of the New Testament. And we see how humbled he was by this encounter. And actually, this story is told three times in the book of Acts. We're going to get to the reason why that is. And Saul tells it again in 2 Corinthians, and he mentions it in Galatians. And as he's writing to the Philippians and the Colossians, I mean, he's just humbled by God's grace. You see, Saul was a very religious man. He thought he had it figured out. And this encounter showed him how wrong he was. It humbled him. Ah, he was blind. Having misunderstood and misapplied the scriptures, he's now filled with anguish at the thought that he is actually opposing the God he was so zealously trying to serve. You understand that, right? I don't want us to think of Saul as, as, as this one who, um, you know, he's just a hater of all things good. No, he's, he, was, he was fighting for God, or so he thought, in opposing the people of the way. Because in his mind, Jesus was a heretic. Jesus was a false prophet at best. He wasn't the son of God. Now he's seen. Though he's blind, blinded by the light of Christ, he's starting to see. He's humbled. He's being humbled. And he refuses to eat and to drink for three days. He prays. This is repentant reflection. There's nothing else that he can do. And what's he thinking about during this time? During this... uh, this time of, of waiting and not eating or drinking, what's he thinking of? I guarantee you he was thinking of the claims of Christ, the claims that Jesus made. I guarantee you he was making these connections, what the Old Testament prophets and the law had been speaking of and the Psalms just racing through his mind. Imagine the connections that he was making over the course of those three days of fulfillment expectation the absolute necessity of just letting go of beliefs that he had held tightly for for years and years that were contrary to who jesus actually is and what jesus actually accomplished now we have to pause for a moment and understand that's exactly what happens when we encounter christ that we are going to have to wrestle with the reality of what scripture really says about jesus And we, too, are going to have to let go of beliefs that we hold tightly to that are contrary to who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Saul is processing what it would mean to embrace Jesus as Messiah. As king. As the one who came and fulfilled and did what what was promised in Scripture. Jesus stands in Saul's way. Well, second, Jesus sends Ananias to pray. Let's pick up here in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has, and, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Like I said earlier, this is a time of crisis in Saul's life. Because revelation has come of who Jesus really is. Sometimes crisis in our lives leads us to places of brokenness and the need to call on the Lord. Oftentimes it does. And in that time, we receive clarity or revelation of God of what he's calling us to. Just like a lot of what what Matt was saying earlier. But also, when God reveals things to us, it can lead to crisis. (laughs) Why? Because we're wrestling with what we see uh, is true in Scripture. We might be saying, ah, is that really what Jesus is calling me to? Is that really uh, what is true? I mean, if I'm embracing Christianity, do I have to embrace that too? You see, there's a wrestling match that goes on. Is, what is Jesus calling me to? And then when we come face to face with it, we're like, oh my goodness. Jesus stood in the way, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave Saul in his time of wrestling and crisis. He sends Ananias. Do you remember what I've said? The book of Acts is about the acts of Jesus through his first followers. Jesus is on the move in this story. Jesus stands in Saul's way. Jesus then appears to Ananias in a vision. And then Jesus sends Ananias. Jesus is on the move. We we learn that Ananias has some reservations, doesn't he? That's understandable. I mean, who here would want to approach a man committed to arresting and even possibly approving of your death? Okay, I'll go. Jesus asks Ananias to do something that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to Ananias. And Ananias then goes on to inform Jesus what's up. Just being honest with you, Jesus, but this man is actually here to arrest us and he did a lot of harm in Jerusalem if you didn't know. As if Jesus needed an update. (laughs) We do the same thing. We wrestle with what Jesus asks of us. You ever been there? But then Jesus answers Ananias in verse 15. So Ananias really gets some clarity. He says, listen, this man, the one who's been opposing me and opposing my my people, my followers, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. This man is going international. This man is taking the good news of who I am to the nations. This man is going beyond Jerusalem and the Jews. He's going to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. He's my chosen instrument. What was Ananias thinking when he entered the house? I think he had a mixture of thoughts. Okay, this is the one who came to imprison and wants to murder me. He caused my displacement and caused a lot of pain and harm to my friends. But Jesus, I know you're up to something here. I'm going to trust you. This isn't what I expected. 
This isn't what I thought I signed up to do. But Jesus, I'm going to trust you. As he opens the door to the house of Judas on the street called Straight, which is still around today, it's an ancient street that ran through the city of Damascus. He opens the door and he immediately begins to look for an alternate exit. No, he doesn't do that. that. I think I would have, but he doesn't. Ananias is courageous. He's filled with love and compassion. He's on mission. Here's what Ananias does. He doesn't look for an exit. He actually goes right to Saul, and he places his hands on Saul, and here's what he says. Brother Saul. Some of the sweetest words that Saul would ever hear. Why? Ananias is a follower of Jesus. Ananias is a member of Jesus' family. And now Ananias is an extension of Jesus himself. And the first thing he says when he touches Saul in his blindness is brother. Saul knew what he had done to the church. You think it wasn't messing with him? He knew how he stood in opposition to God's plan. You think that wasn't messing with him? In that moment, I'm sure that Saul is thinking, how, how, how can you call me brother? There is no one who is too far gone. There is no one who has done something so bad that they can't be welcomed into the family of God. God's grace is greater. The Lord Jesus, he says, who appeared to you has sent me. The Lord Jesus is behind this, Ananias tells him. Essentially, he's saying, Saul, Jesus isn't finished with you. He's gotten in your way, but that's just the start. What's he doing? Relationship, mission, purpose, it's all connected to it. Jesus has intervened, and now he has sent me to intercede. And that's exactly what Ananias does. He intercedes for Saul. He prays for him. Why? Ananias tells him why. So that you may see again. So that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a member of, of, of God's family. You are now a part of this new covenant family, this thing that Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, this, this, this reality of being in relationship with the living God. God the Spirit present. And immediately what happens? Something like scales fell from his eyes. So gross. What is that? I don't know. I've thought a lot about it this week. What was that? He got up. He was baptized. And he surrendered to Jesus, clearly. Baptism is an expression of full-on identification with what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. His death under the water and his resurrection, which brings salvation, which accomplished cleansing of our sin. Full-on identification. Saul's like, I'm in. I want to be baptized immediately. His eyes were opened, which again is symbolic of what happened internally, spiritually. His eyes were opened to the reality of Jesus. He surrendered. This story is just as much about surrender as it is about anything else. Jesus confronts Saul in his arrogance, in his rebellion, in his pride, and he, Saul breaks. He surrenders to Jesus, the risen king. 
The last thing Saul ever intended to do when he set out for Damascus was to become a follower of Jesus, right? Well, Ananias, he brought affirmation, this support and encouragement to Saul. Saul had sat there for three days in prayerful repentance. The only way out of the darkness of unbelief and rejection of Jesus was for Jesus to confront, pursue, and save Saul. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, I, I uh, have been ex- uh, participating just last month. We started in this thing called Leaders Collective. I started uh, participating monthly in a, a group called Leaders Collective. There's 10 of us who meet monthly for three to four days, uh, church planters. Um, you know, I've pastored for 20 years, never planted a church, okay? I've never been a lead pastor before. It's my first time. We're eight months in. I hope it's going well. That was weak, but I'll receive it in love. Uh, okay, so I'm participating in this Leaders Collective, and it's been wonderful. Uh, we had our first uh, meeting um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we talk about, it's not like new information, but it's, it's about camaraderie and brotherhood and cheering each other on, and we talked about prayer, we talked about Jesus, <laughs> um, just things. We talk about staying healthy as individuals and as followers of Christ, but also as pastors. It's very, very good, and um, I'm just thankful that, that we get to participate in it. I think it's going to serve me as an individual and as uh, my family, and I know it will serve us as a church. So uh, anyway, we, we did that, and one of our uh, things that we did together as a group was an escape room. You ever do that? I'd never done one before, but here we are, 10 guys locked in a room together. That wasn't my idea of fun, but we did it, and we had an hour to get out of this room. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, if I didn't have these guys... There's no way I'd get out of this room. All the clues. Have you done this? I'm just, how did, how did you guys, and I'm over in the corner just pretending I'm finding clues. Seriously. <laughs> I keep saying the same thing. You know, hey, what about under this cushion? You guys see what's under the cushion? I'm like, ah, man, when's this hour up? I'm hungry. You know why I told that story? Because there was no way Saul could have gotten out of his darkness and rebellion on his own. He was in an escape room that was impossible to get out. He needed Jesus. He needed Jesus to do it. The same is true for you and I. In Romans 5, Saul, later called Paul, goes on to write this. Listen to what he says in Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were powerless, when we were caught in sin and shame, Christ died for us. He did what we could not do. Well, finally, Saul proclaims Jesus is the way. Let's keep reading and see how this this goes. Verse, verse 20. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who, who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? 
Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Don't you love the honesty of Scripture? But Barnabas, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. These are the guys who actually approved of Stephen's stoning. He talked to them, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, his hometown. Saul proclaims Jesus is the way. The one who was doing or who was going to Damascus to destroy the movement of Jesus' followers is now defending and proclaiming Jesus. He's proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. He's proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. The two go together Son of God, the Messiah. He declared this with enthusiasm and conviction. Everyone that is is hearing this is just staggered. They're astonished. They're like, what in the world? They're freaking out. This is the one who came to shut this down, and now he's promoting it. In verse 23, it says, after many days, this is actually up to three years later. We learn this in Galatians chapter 1. You can read that on your own, but in Galatians chapter 1, we get a little bit more insight on what was going on. He uh, um, He was going back and forth from Cilicia back to Damascus, and there was a lot of movement there. But after many days, after many days, uh, he heads to Jerusalem. The religious leaders, though, had had enough in Damascus, right? They, they, they basically were threatened by Saul's message. And Saul's disciples catch wind of what's happening. They, they lower him in a basket over the wall. This is so savage, right? This is so, um, like, What? Saul heads then to Jerusalem where the disciples are not only skeptical, they're afraid of him. Now, they think he's putting on a mask to bring more persecution, but Barnabas intervenes. Earlier in Acts, Barnabas sells property and he's called the, and he gives it to the church and he's very generous. He's called the son of encouragement. So he takes Saul to the apostles and he, he stands with Saul. Now, Barnabas had friends who were hurt by Saul. Barnabas had friends who were displaced by Saul. Barnabas had a friend who was, uh, who was essentially murdered by Saul's uh, approval. But Barnabas stood with Saul. He saw the transformation in Saul. And a time of peace came upon the early church. A time of peace. Verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Can you think of people or events or circumstances that show Jesus' initiative in reaching you with his love? I want you to think. Where has Jesus gotten in your way? Through whom? And through what circumstances has Jesus gotten in your way? Have you been fighting against Jesus? Have you been trying to run from Jesus? Have you maybe encountered Jesus personally? 
Have you acknowledged your own blindness? Have you acknowledged your need for him? Have you surrendered your life before him as king, as Messiah, as savior? Have you come to a place where you're starting to understand who Jesus is, but man, there's crisis uh, because of it. And there's this internal wrestling match that's going on and you're, you're struggling with what it's going to mean to then follow Jesus. Oh, listen, there is joy and hope and rest and peace and in all of our angst and rebellion and trying to figure it out. He's calling you to surrender. Jesus is still in the business of getting in people's way. And he's doing it this morning. Through this story, he's standing in our way. He stands in our way today, and he's calling us to surrender. Just as he called Saul to surrender, he's he's inviting us into his family, and he's inviting us on his mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story in Acts 9, a story where we encounter your work of grace through a man who no one expected you to work through, but you did it. He transformed his life, this great reversal, where he was heading in, in this, the opposite direction, pushing back against you and fighting against you. But Lord, you, you saved him. But Jesus, you've done that for us. Anyone here who professes you as Savior, that's exactly what you've done for us. We're humbled by your grace and love. We're moved by your mercy. We're welcomed into a new family. You've set us on mission. You've given us purpose in life in Jesus. Jesus, our King, we thank you. Lord, you know my prayer has been this week that for anyone here today who's been wrestling, who's been a part of local church, St. Pete, wrestling with who Jesus is, that God, by your grace, you'd bring clarity, revelation, that Lord, you'd bring surrender, that you would do this all by your spirit for, Lord, the glory of your name. Amen.